dear Father, we're thankful for these moments with the cup and the loaf, the bread, the juice. Thankful for all you've done for us and what it means. And I thank you for Cody's questions. They help us think. Father, now we turn our attention to the bread of life, your word. And we just pray that as we listen, we'll understand this love letter from you in an even greater way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be wondering why I'm standing here instead of Marty today. Well, it is fall break for Bartholomew Schools, and he decided that he needed to get away for a while and spend some time with his family, so he's traveling And I know you'll be in prayer for him as well, as many others that are traveling. We're going to be in Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 today. So if you want to turn to that part and kind of hold it for a little bit. You've heard many comedians who start off their jokes with, well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And that they just go on and on. And this has been a constant theme of humor for many, many years. And it works for them. But today, we're going to consider what I believe to be the ultimate, the maximum, the absolute greatest idea between good news and bad news. But I want to tell you, it is no joke. It is no joke. Now, I'm going to save the good news for a little later in the message today and begin with the bad news. And to do this, I'm going to be using a word that we don't use too often in our everyday language, and that word is befuddled. Befuddled. I asked the Thursday night crowd, how many have used the word befuddled in the last two months? Didn't get a hand raised. Would I get a hand this morning? Have you said befuddled in the last two months? We don't use it very often. Probably the best definition of this word is the word that is usually listed first as its synonym, a word that means the same. And that word is confused. Now, in its modifier form, the verb befuddle or befuddled is an adjective, and it means this. It means that we're unable to think clearly. We are confused. We are complex and perplexed. We would look at other synonyms of befuddled and understand that it means discombobulated. A C. Punchy. Woolly-headed, fuzzy up here. (laughs) Befogged, stupefied, mystified, confused, doubtful, bewildered, confounded, unsettled, flustered, puzzled, and addled. Why the English lesson today? Well, these are words that are all definitely speaking of the seriousness and destructive nature of sin. And they describe a condition that I for sure want to do, and I believe you do as well, want to avoid at all costs. It is a state of being that we want nothing to do with. But coming to an understanding and an appreciation of the destructive nature and power of sin, I think will help us come to love God's answer and the cure and the remedy for that sin that he gave us. In fact, I want to go so far as to say it this way. I don't think we can truly grasp, get a hold of, and incorporate the joy of my favorite single statement of Scripture found in Romans 8.1. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
What a joyful, what a great, what a wonderful thing to know that in Christ we don't have to face condemnation. But we can't grasp the joy of that until and unless we digest the terribly horrifying news of Romans 7.24, just a few verses before, when Paul says about his condition of befuddlement, what a wretched man that I am. We must all come to the point of recognizing and admitting that because of our sins, we are wretched people. We're pitiful beings outside of Jesus Christ. This means we're desolate and miserable. We're forlorn. We're sad. We're dejected. We're pitiful. We're spiritless. Without Christ, this is who and this is what we are. Now, every one of us, every one of us is in a constant and difficult struggle with sin. And our struggle with sin is befuddling. Sin's haunting presence is a constant pressure. Too often, sin gets the best of us. Sin separates us from the God who created us and the God who loves us with a perfect and everlasting love. Sin alienates us from one another. Sin deflates us spiritually. Sin stains our past. It messes up our now. It destroys our tomorrow. And it ruins our eternity. These ideas are not my own. They are the constant message of Scripture. Our constant struggle with sin is serious, even as befuddling as it is. I don't like to be befuddled. It's an uncomfortable place. But I am befuddled by the sin that imprisons me. And along with Paul, I ask, who will rescue me? I recently heard a well-known Bible scholar began a teaching session he was doing with this question. I kind of liked it. He asked the audience he was speaking to, if you were to be stranded on a deserted island, what two chapters of the Bible, two chapters out of all 1,189 chapters, what two chapters would you print out and take with you to this island? Pause for a minute and answer that in your own mind. You just got two out of over a thousand. Which two would you choose to have at your side? When I thought about it, my first one just came automatically. Romans 8. You'll find out why as we continue. But then I thought about Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Be still and know that I am God. I love the 46th Psalm. But sin leaves me in a befuddled state, as Romans 7 presents it. And so today I simply want to present to you a message that I have entitled, Bye Bye Befuddled, Hello Happiness. That's where I want us to leave this place today. But what are we going to do about this relentless fight for our lives? This sin thing going on. It's a tense and dangerous spiritual tug of war. It is a battle for our soul and it wages on and on and on. And in the fight we wear down and we get discouraged and we get defeated. Yes, even as Paul says, when I know better, 
And when I want to do better, still my sins and my failures bring me down. I think part of that is because it's such a frequent and repeated reality. I just can't seem to get away from those sins that haunt my life. Well, let's listen to how Paul explained this in Romans chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, begin with me at verse 14. If you need to reach in front of you and get one, or you can read it along the screen as well. Hear what Paul has to say about this befuddled state and why we're in it. The cause is sin. And he says this, Romans 7, 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. That's befuddled. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. And this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Continuing on, verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, even as Psalm 1 speaks of. But I see another work at law in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Oh, Paul answers, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my own mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Do you understand now the befuddled state we're in? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here, but I sure would. I find myself in the same place as Paul, not doing the good I want to do and doing the not good that I don't want to do. And it befuddles me, it confuses me, it perplexes me. Why is this so? Message today has two points, and the first one is this. The really bad news today, remember I told you we were going to give you bad news and good news. The really bad news is that the reality of sin and its daily and eternal damage, sin leaves us befuddled. Now the Bible affirms many places, many ways that sin is universal, is inescapable. It affects us all. It infects us all. Every human has a sin problem, and that problem is twofold. First, sin is an evil blemish that all of us share in common. All mankind have this blemish, this dark spot, this trouble in our lives. To live on earth is to be a sinner. We all sin. And the second part of the problem is that we can't do anything about it on our own. We've got a big problem. 
Try as we might. Now, we might could do less, but we cannot get rid of the guilt and the punishment that sin brings us. We're powerless to do anything about it on our own. It's beyond our human ability. It's beyond our power. It's beyond our authority to remove sin. Only God can do that. You know this is true because the Bible says it so many ways. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous. No, not one. Just in verse 12, following that, he says, All have turned away. In 3.23, we know that verse when it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We go on to Romans 6 where Paul writes, Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? The idea of the day was, well, I love God's grace. I want as much of God's grace as I can get. So if I want more grace, I need to sin more. The more I sin, the more grace. And Paul writes to these people and said, what are you thinking? By no means. God forbid that this should be our attitude or our action. 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Because he has said, all have sinned. And his word is not in us. And in 2 Timothy 2.26, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, They will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who is taking them captive to do his will. We are all sinners. And that sin leaves us in a befuddled state. I like what some uh, folks I read about and read from had to say about this sin and its power and and its clutch on our lives. They had these things to say about the harsh reality of this problem that traps us all. J.H. Howitt said this, I covet no phraseology that lends respectability to sin. He's saying, I don't have any respect for anybody that tries to make sin anything other than what it is. He says, the sorest or the worst injury we can do to any man is to lighten or lessen his conception of the enormity of sin. Sadly, too many Christians today make too little or too light of sin's presence and power. And I think we can learn from these lessons that we need to call sin what God calls it. He calls it sin. But when we do that, let's be sure we all speak the truth in love and not just try to condemn or gloat over somebody else's problem. Another scholar named R.G. Lee said this, and he gets right to the alarming point. Sin is the most heinous and hellish thing in God's universe because it stands in direct opposition to God. I also like one of my Bible college professors, Denver Sizemore. He's the author of the 13 Lessons in Doctrine books. And he wrote this about this mutual and deadly issue that we have in common with one another. And he says, The essential principle of sin is selfishness. There was never a sin committed that was not the choice of self in preference to God. In other words, sin comes when we try to take charge and rule instead of letting God be in charge and rule. All sin comes from selfishness. Every appeal, he says, for our souls ever made by Satan is an appeal 
to self. Universal, it captures us all, and it's a very serious matter. But we go on a little more, and from Romans 7 again, if we look back to the text, we're just going to fly through and repeat these ideas about sin gives us so many reasons to be discouraged and heavy-hearted about it and just leave us in this befuddled state. We're going to fly through this. We begin back up at verse 14 where Paul says, Because of sin, I am unspiritual. He also says in verse 14, I'm a slave to sin. He says, I don't understand why I do what I do. I have been in that place many times. Verse 15 also adds, I, do, I don't do what I want to do. Again, these are reasons to be heavy-hearted and discouraged over our sins. We move on to verse 16, and Paul says, I do what I hate to do. Verse 17, he says, sin lives in me. It doesn't just come to visit, it lives in me. Verse 18 says, nothing good lives in me. He admits that he, like I would admit, and I hope you would as well, that I have a very strong and very willful, sinful nature. It's just part of me. It says in verse 18, I can't carry out the good I want to do. Go to verse 19. He says, I don't do the good I want to do. And he adds in verse 19, I keep on doing the evil I do not want to do. He repeats in verse 20 that sin lives in me. And verse 21, that evil is right there with me. Verse 22 and 23 talks about a battle that's going on in me and around me between my two natures, between the forces of good and the forces of evil. He says, I'm a prisoner of the law. The law had no power to remove sin. It just pushed it forward, remember? Verse 24, what a wretched man that I am. We would say today, what a befuddled man I am. I'm in this condition that I don't like, I don't enjoy, I don't appreciate. And I need to be rescued. I need to be delivered. Who can do that? Who will do that? And the last part of verse 25 lets us know that this battle goes on and on and on. Yes, I am a wretched, miserable man because of my sin. And I need to be rescued. Who's going to do it? Well, in this list of the dangers and the powers and the control of sin, there's certainly an, uh, an abundance of issues and woes that are capable of befuddling us all. But I'm so thankful that among this long and discouraging review of the reality of sin and its painful consequences, Paul asked the question, who will rescue me? Who's going to help me with this condition? And then he brings the answer when he says, ah, God will do it through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a hallelujah thing. Paul gives a quick and confident answer following and, and tells us that it is Jesus Christ that God has sent as the answer to help us deal with the befuddlement of sin. Paul affirms that there's a new reality for those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who are in him. 
I'm so glad that as he comes to the end of this disheartening struggle that he describes, he gives us the best news he could ever bring us. Good news, bad news. Bad news, good news. He breaks out in words of doxology and praise. And these words give us renewed joy and hope and peace, purpose, power and strength. And he goes on to chapter 8, which again I've told you is the one I would take with me to the island. It is my absolute favorite chapter of scripture. And even as he sets it up by saying, oh, I'm a miserable, wretched man. Who can rescue me? God will rescue me through Jesus Christ. He says those same powerful words in 1 Corinthians 15. Remember that chapter all about the resurrection? And at the end he says, Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The bad news is sin befuddles. The good news is we can be rescued. And that is the really good news. Here's what Paul had to say about that. Now again, keep in mind the context of chapter 7 that we've just spent all this time on. And the condition we're in and how much we don't like it and how much we just wish we could be done with it. And so in Romans 8, he captures this idea of the victory we have through Christ saying, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that was weakened by flesh, God did, and he did it by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. My second point this morning is simply this. While we wave bye-bye to be fuddled, we say hello happiness because through Jesus Christ we can do just that. Now Paul said we need rescue. And that's an important Awareness for us to come to. Yes, I need help with this. I can't do anything on my own. Romans 7 affirms our condition. Romans 8 gives us God's promise to work and to bring us into a much better state of believing. And so when we're able through Christ to say bye-bye befuddled, hello happiness, that ought to make us shout amen. Will you shout amen with me? Will you shout amen with me? Yes, yes, this is good news, friends. We don't have to live in that befuddled state. We have victory through our Jesus Christ. I want to take it one step further. I loved your amens, but this is also one of those yoo-hoo or woo-hoo moments. Would you give me a big woo-hoo? Yeah, that's what it is. This is exciting stuff. It's worth celebrating. Thank you for your participation. Have you ever entered into the middle of a television show or a movie and discovered that you don't know who is who and what is going on and you're just unable to get what's happening around you? Well, Romans 8 is just a little bit like that because he's just done such a thorough job in chapter 7 of just putting us in the middle of this miry pit of sin 
And then he starts talking about there's no condemnation. Well, well, what? Well, again, we have to remember that transition at the end of the chapter. I need rescuing. Who will do it? Jesus will. And uh, Romans 8, I think that's why it's my favorite chapter. Now, some of you may remember, some of the Thursday night crowd did, of back in the days when uh, on Saturday morning cartoons they would do this little segment called Schoolhouse Rock. Anybody remember those? And it was, you know, stuff we need to, kids need to know, so they wanted to make Saturday morning cartoons a little educational, so they threw this thing in. Well, I remember one particular episode in which they were talking about conjunctions. You remember that? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up clauses and phrases and on it went. Well, Romans 8 begins with one of those very important um, conjunctions. <laughs> It's the word therefore. Now, I want you to understand something about this word therefore. It is a very important Bible word. It has a great function to being this conjunction. It ought to make us sit up and take notice, not only about what he's fixing to say, but what he has just said, because that's the purpose of a conjunction. It ties in what has just been said to what is about to be said. And so I want to encourage you, anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture... Stop. Pause. Go back and start reading a little sooner. Read up to where the therefore is and then read the words after the therefore with a great appreciation. I told you earlier, we can't grasp how bad and how difficult our sin problem is and how much joy we can have in getting over it until we realize that And we can't realize that until we take the step to let Jesus handle our sin problems. Do this tool. I think it will help you with your Bible study, make it more meaningful to you every day. But in order to understand and fully appreciate the best news ever that Romans 8 gives us, we must grasp the befuddling predicament and torment of the last half of Romans 7. Keep in mind that Romans was written as a letter One constant inflow letter. The chapters and the verse divisions are a human invention added later just to help us find places a lot easier, and I'm glad they're there. But in Paul's original, it was one long letter, and so he just flows right out of chapter 7 into chapter 8. And here's how God moves forward and gives us hope and confidence that, yes, this sin can befuddle us, but we can get out of that. And he promises great spiritual blessings and strength. Again, going back to the text, Paul says there's no condemnation. If we knew for sure that we would never get a traffic ticket or that we would never have an accident or that there would be absolutely no repercussions of speeding, How fast would we go? Some of us faster than others probably. Paul is saying, listen, that's exactly the way it is in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for that sin that even though you don't want to do, you do, and the good that you do want to do, you don't do. That's great stuff. He says we're set free. Notice that theme in the singing this morning? And uh, appreciate that very, very much. He says that God did what the law could never do. 
We've got God on our side, which again is one of those reasons Roman 8 is my favorite because if you skip down to verse 31, you know what that one says. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody, nothing. He tells us that Jesus came as our sin offering and that in Jesus, God utterly condemned sin. You see, we don't face the condemnation. Sin has been condemned because Jesus took it upon himself on a cross. Our sinful nature, verse 4 says, is defeated. And we now, therefore, live according to the Spirit. If that's not enough for you, Go back to that portion of Scripture that Cody read for our communion. And just read the whole 5th and 6th chapter of Romans as well. And you'll just get a, the same idea that Paul is saying. God has acted on our behalf and justified us through our faith. Now, it's very careful to note, though, that Paul puts a condition on this thing. And he says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you want to have a life of not worrying or fearing condemnation, then being in Jesus is the answer and the only answer. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it means much more than just saying the name Jesus every once in a while. It means much more than serving on a church committee. It means much more than wearing a cross necklace. It means much more than just sitting in the church building. <laughs> it means more than having a God is my co-pilot license plate. It means much more than doing good things. Much more than memorizing Bible verses. It means much more than all these things that are not wrong or bad, but they're not really what the thing is all about, being in Christ. It also means more than uh, that old saying of don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do. It's not just a matter of being good. Being in Jesus means that we live with Him and we live for Him. And we regard Him as both Savior and Lord. Grateful for salvation, ready and willing to live for Him. That is what being in Christ is all about. It is about an ongoing and growing personal relationship with Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's how we know we're in Christ. But how do we get there? There are numerous scriptures we could turn to, but let me just share Galatians 3.27 with you. That says, All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Before Christ, before baptism, we were outside of Christ. And baptism was that process of obedience and grace whereby we moved into Jesus. And we can be in Christ and we can know the great feeling of no condemnation. Some things are worth repeating, and, and in the past series on 1 John, Marty mentioned several of these ideas, but I, I just feel like they're so powerful we need to hear them again. Hebrews 8.12 says, I will forgive their sins and their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now here's the thing. 
One of the things that befuddles me is I still think about and I still know about and I still remember all that stuff that I was doing in this pile over here. What I don't want to do and not doing what I should be doing. I remember that. But the promise of Scripture is that it's gone from God's memory. <laughs> 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just a couple of verses later in chapter 2, If anybody does sin... We have one who speaks to the Father, an advocate in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Chapter 4 of 1 John, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Chapter 5 and verse 13 of 1 John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, confidently know, that you have eternal life. And of course, we dare not forget those most familiar of Bible words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, there is no condemnation. So when you get befuddled by your sin, the answer is focus on what Jesus has done. God has made possible by his grace and his mercy. That's what it's all about. Through Jesus Christ... We can say, bye-bye, befuddled, good riddance. And we can say, hello, happiness. Hello, joy. Hello, peace. If you're in Christ, you know of what I speak. And if you're not, today is the day you can make the decision to do that. To be a part of Jesus Christ and to have him live in you and dwell in you have His Holy Spirit come to live within you, you can enjoy all those benefits and know this gracious and blessed promise, there's now no condemnation. We can all go, man, I was a mess. I was, it just befuddled me so badly. But through Jesus Christ, I have a new and fresh outlook. Hello, happiness. If you've got a decision to make, we're going to stand and sing our hymn of invitation. If you've got a decision to make, I encourage you to make that as you come forward. We'll talk with you and pray with you and find out what's on your heart and mind. If you've got a decision to make, come as we stand and sing.